Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Edelette McVicker, the author of Recovering Racists, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. Edelette, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. I'm grateful so, to be here. Uh, the, the way I kind of structured the interview was really just to start at the beginning of your book and, and work through work through it. Um, normally that starts with the introduction, but on the cover of the book, uh, you have an endorsement from, from Lisa Sharon Harper, uh, whose book Fortune is actually coming out from the same publisher right around the same time as your book. I don't know if you guys- uh, Hers is out now, yeah. Hers is out now. I don't know if you plan that or not. Uh, but I, I, I actually read your two books back to back, I guess I got them at the same time. Uh, so that was a really good, I think that was really good for me to see both of your works together. Uh, but she endorsed your book and just said, Edelette McVicker has done the work. So I want to start, because that's, that's high praise. And I want to start uh, with the story of how you began your journey of being a recovering racist and what you did to for for Lisa Sharon Harper to say she's done the work. So we need to follow in the footsteps. How how do, how do we who are on that journey make sure that we are doing the work that matters and not just the work that we think we should do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Big question, right? Easy question. Just to start off, softball. <laughs> Big question. Easy question. Yeah. So let me just say, I'm just want to ground myself right where I am. I'm sitting. I'm. I live in Surrey, British Columbia, in Canada. Um, some people call this Turtle Island. Um, I live on the unceded territories of the Kwantlen, the Semiamu, and the Stolo peoples. Um, but originally, I am from the Drakenstein Mountains in South Africa. So. Um, I have crossed continents and languages to be here today. And um, to be honest with you, it probably took me 30 years um, to you say, how did you become a recovering racist? I think it's been a journey of 30 plus years. But, you know, in some way I was born into the story, right? Like uh, I write about that, but just like to be born right into the story of apartheid in South Africa, I was born into the white side literally the white side of the hospital. And my birth certificate was stamped with a racial declaration that was created by the apartheid government, which was a violence in itself. Um, and so for me, this race consciousness was there, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't spoken about by white people, but it was there, right? Um, and so I can say it started at my birth, or I can say it started when I was 16, uh, when I, at that time, books were starting to get unbanned in South Africa. And I remember walking into the library and I'm like, banned books, can they be so bad, right? <laughs> well, you know, there's a big conversation in the US right now. Mm -hmm. And I remember I just kind of went for that turnstile and I was like, this is, oh, this is an author. I, I was like, oh, can this, you know, I picked it up and, and started reading this book. And um, it was describing a relationship with a, a white man and a black man in a way that I hadn't seen a relationship because it had been so hierarchical, like it had set up, constructed in a hierarchical way, right? And so um, I just was, it, it just awakened and shattered my, 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 like my worldview, my concept of what does it mean to be, who am I? Well, what, what is the story that I've been told? I think it was more like that. I was like, this is a story that people have been telling me that they've, they've, I've, I've lived in this, in this kind of world, in this, um, that was created, um, and this is the story of who we told who we are as Afrikaner people, as white people in South Africa, and um, we'll also speak Afrikaans when I, speak, when I talk about Afrikaner people, it's, it's white people in South Africa also speak Afrikaans, and uh, so I have a big Bernese mountain dog here, so if, the, if, you, if you're here, <laughs> it's my dog just changing position, I'm sorry about that. Um, so, you know, that was a real big I, that was my first awakening, I would say, right? And then there was a moment uh, when I lived in Taiwan. I worked as a journalist in Taiwan. Um, and South Africa had gone through this uh, um, political euphoria of first democratic elections. I got to vote in that first democratic elections. And I remember it was like this euphoric day. 
and um, everything like political freedom had come at that time, right? And um, and yet three years later, I stood in Taiwan and we're celebrating this Freedom Day. That day is called Freedom Day now in South Africa. And we were celebrating that. I was covering the story. And as I was thinking about it, I'm standing in that room in a global context. And I heard my own accent, my Afrikaans accent. It was like, I am not the good person in the story. How the people in this room perceive me is not as the good person in the story. Like literally apartheid was called a crime and is and was a crime against humanity. <laughs> and I was like celebrating, yeah, apartheid it ended. And I'm like, oh crap, that's what my people had created. And then, and it was this warm wash of shame. And I just, I, I, it was just like, I have to deal with this. I have to figure out who I am in this world. Do I have a place to belong? Do I belong in the story of humanity? Or does this, have my ancestors now created the story and I have to live from that? Or can I create a new story? Or is there something else? And I didn't know how to move forward. And there were no models for me really, to be honest with you, of how to move out of that shame. Mm -hmm. And so, I just started walking and, 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 and I was in a, you know, like an intimate relationship with, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and just kind of like walking with God and like, help me. What does this mean? Like, how do I get, how do I get out of this story? And so, you know, I talk about my faith has from that minute became an anti-racist faith because racism and race and my story and my faith were so deeply interconnected. Um, and so for me, there was no question. I had to wrestle with the story of apartheid. I had a story with, I had to wrestle with who am I in the story of humanity as a white person. And um, yeah, that, so that was, that was a, that was a huge moment marker in the story. And, but then this whole recovering racist piece, you know, that was, that was um, Dr. Like Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas. And I was sitting, um, yeah, I was sitting at the Festival of Faith and Writing and she was speaking. And I remember just like sitting there, I wanted, I like, I wanted all the tools. I wanted all the, the information because I was so hungry for more understanding and language of how do we recover and how, how, do, we, how do we write a different story? And, um, and she said, and she stood there and just so gracious. And she said, uh, one of her friends had said that the only thing white people can ever be are recovering racists. And I was like, did she just say that? And it was like, did I hear that correctly? And then it was like, my friend was like, yes. And then I was like, that's it. That's the language I've been looking for to own this and to acknowledge it and not to run away with it, but to actually run towards it and say, I acknowledge it. Now, what do we do? Right. That's that's not where we that's not where we end. But that acknowledgement was a huge shattering, more shattering. Right. Like another shattering moment. Um, and just this thud. <laughs> right. Like, um, oh, there is more work to do. There's deeper work to do. Right. And so really, this been this has been a journey of liberation. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like every time it's like, let's peel these layers. Oh, what more is there to do with your ego and your consciousness and who you are? And how do you believe about what do you believe about yourself? Right. So there, there is a bit of the journey. So, you know, long, a long journey. And, you know, it is an honor that Lisa Sharon Harper wrote that. And no, it was not planned in my, from my perspective. I guess this was, it's beautifully, you know, divinely orchestrated. And it is such an honor. And for, you know, um, for her to say that. So yeah, we, um, yeah, just, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. Yeah, I appreciate your, just your authenticity and your vulnerability. The fact that, you know, you are, you're owning up to a system that you participated in even that you didn't choose to be born into this system, um, but taking ownership of what corporately you have benefited from, uh, the privilege that it has given you, 
that that's such an important element i think for white people to to come to understand because there is a lot of this um especially and i think it's different in the united states because it, it, it's you know south africa and apartheid that's that's decades ago where when when america looks back to its racism uh well we we tend to look back to slavery and we're like well that was 150 years ago i had nothing to do with that um we might even go and look back to J jim crow in the 1960s and they're there then you're like well that's not that long ago actually uh but there are still people who are like well that you know that doesn't have anything to do with me do we like like we can say okay there there, there was racism uh and i think this is this is really the the way that a lot of a lot of people are still looking at it in the sense of like i didn't ask to be white uh, why should I apologize for something that I that you know, I didn't do? They feel like they didn't do, or have have an issue in. Um, or people might even say, "Hey, I'll admit there's structural racism. I'll admit that we benefit from racist structures." But that's different than saying I personally have been racist and need to recover from my racism. Uh, why do you do you feel like that's a necessary step for people to take is to say i am you know i'm white and i am a recovering racist the personally not just corporately why is that important okay you've you've kind of said a lot of things so i have yes sorry final question i i think we have to come to the place of acknowledgement like and i think that kind of the like that rock bottom um understanding our place in the story of humanity and um and i think it's important for people who live in the u.s to also understand that this is not just a story of the u.s that this is a story in a global context right mm -hmm. um but i'm you know as you were saying about you know racism across the across the centuries in the u.s you know i i just recommend that people go to the equal justice institute in montgomery alabama because you can see it so clearly standing in it in the museum and i think it was so eye-opening for to see the how how, how racist forces shape shift mm -hmm. from transatlantic slavery to domestic slavery to jim crow to mass incarceration mm -hmm. to black bodies on the street still right um that a black mom has to talk to her son about what it means to be in a black body when it goes out. And a white mom doesn't have to do that to a white son, right? And so I think um, there's so much to say about that, but even in those, the fact that a white mom doesn't have to do that for a white son, right? Like in that part that there's this sort of omission Right, like there's this this thing that doesn't exist for a white parent, um, but a black parent has to do that. Like there's, like that, right? Um, so it's hard to take to, to be to acknowledge um, the fact that you don't have to do something, right? And so like I, I talk about see what is not there. We have to look for what is like seemingly not there, right? Like literally. District 6, a community in South Africa that was demolished by the apartheid government, literally removed, forcibly removed. People's homes, valuables, everything removed, and they were taken to other places. And you're like, well, you don't, I don't see District 6. Well, so I don't have to be accountable for that, or I don't have to acknowledge it. But the fact that it isn't there is as important that we have to understand that these spaces or these these, these um um yeah these these the, the fact that it doesn't exist is also part of the story um i do believe white people have to acknowledge that we are shaped by a white consciousness or have been shaped by white consciousness right so um the world was created based on ideas ideas create the world right and so we've white people 
have created worlds around hierarchy and systems of, of, of understanding ourselves in the hierarchy of value and worth based on skin color, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we, first, I think we have to acknowledge that. I think that's one of the steps, but you know, it's not, it's not, this is not linear, right? And so I think that was, that was the other piece. This book, you know, I think it, I almost see it as a circle. Like, I think you walk into a room. I think for me, that's kind of how the book is shaped. Because I can't say, okay, you know, you've got the acknowledgement down. Now we're going to go to the repentance piece or, right? It's kind of like I move, I move into acknowledgement and I do the work that's right there in front of me right now. What I need to acknowledge right now, like, oh, I've missed this. Oh, I haven't seen this. Oh, there is something here, right? Like, or my, I, can, I can feel something in my body. Like, oh, why did I react when that person said that, Right. So acknowledge it and you're like, okay. And then we move through the different, I call them stations of liberation, right? Um, and so sometimes something else is gonna come up. You're like, man, I don't wanna honor that person right now. Um, you know, I say honor everyone. And so you kind of you do the work and then you come back to acknowledgement a bit and you go to, back to, oh, there's something else I have to say. Oh God, I have to repent for this, right? I do think so. So you were mentioning a little bit about the personal and the collective. Like, I think this has been very helpful for me. Resma Minikam, who wrote um, My Grandmother's Hands, mm -hmm. he talks about the personal and the communal and the ancient and the new. And so sometimes when we talk about these things, it's like, I have to ask, is this personal? Did I say something racist? Or is this part of the communal story that I am taking responsibility for? And I don't think those two can be disconnected because we're, we, we live in a connected story, right? But sometimes white people want to say like, well, I haven't said a racist word or I haven't said a racist sentence or I haven't done a racist act. Or, you know, maybe we've admitted, omitted doing things too, right? So, you know, it's like the, the not seeing, but we've participated in the communal story and we've we have been privileged by a communal story and like like our consciousness was shaped by that right and how do we leave that yeah and that's really what like right at the beginning of the book you you talk about how this book is a story about people coming to the end of their whiteness and i think for a lot of white people who have only ever thought of themselves as white uh, which is a very privileged way to be able to see oneself um that may to them sound like that they shouldn't have pride in their history or their ancestry or their culture and that's not really the case because when we're talking about coming to the end of whiteness it's coming to the way in which whiteness has been used to create these systems of, of power and balance and so on. Can you explain a little bit, just, just for anyone who's out there, who's like, you know, because there are so many people that as soon as you, as soon as you start talking about things like this, you know, that's their, you know, that's the go-to. Well, if you're saying that white people shouldn't be white or that white people must be racist, well, that's racism itself. You know, you're being racist. Um, but it's, it's understanding what it means to be white differently, I think, than a lot of people may interpret it. So can you can you explain to me what you mean by whiteness? And then there's, I mean, there's whole books that have been written about this. So, you know, again, we're, we're, we're talking about very, very difficult and complex and nuanced subjects, but you're the one who wrote the book. So I'm asking you. Right. But, you know, I wrote the book about how do I recover from racism, right? Not, not, um, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> I think there is a distinction there. So I want to point to the to the to the experts, right? Like, you know, the history of white people, Nell um Nell Irvine, right? Was there, like um and like just like people who have done that work. There's um but for me, okay. So first of all, let's go back to one of the sentences you said. You said um White people have, well, I think in the U.S., and I think we have to be quite specific because that's another piece of this, right? Like the, the generalizations and um, 
white people, what, I, what I'm hearing often is that in the US uh, or in a North American context, actually, North America, I would say, because here in Canada is similar, right? It's kind of like if you're white, you haven't had to be conscious of your whiteness right. until, okay, you know, maybe 10 years ago, or maybe even when George Floyd, Mr. George Floyd passed away. Um, you know, and I'm like, um, actually, right, the fact that you haven't named that or haven't been underst understood that your white body has, like, um, there is a presence there, it, it speaks, right? Uh, Richard Wagamese, the Indigenous author, talks about, you know, when a person of color walks into a room, they're very aware that they walk in skin first, right? And so to understand that you walk into a room, into a space, and a white body, it means something right it doesn't mean it doesn't mean automatically that it's a bad thing it means you have a white skin right now there are assumptions right and i think it's an invitation i think it's an invitation to do the work and to say let's write a different story about what it means to be white you know um I just I just saw this beautiful like meme actually a powerful meme about you know um, you know let's celebrate Black History Month for white people by by making right what white history has done like we're repairing what white what white history has done right and so it's yes this is a this is a sober moment to be white in history a very sober moment. And, and I think we can either say, you know, um, it's, not my, it's not my piece to do. And I think we lose out on the liberation of this invitation or we can do the work and we can become fully human. Because I think, yeah, um, that, that is the invitation. One of the things that I noticed in the book that you were particularly sensitive to is that and you have also in this interview uh, that you're a that you're a white voice centering a white audience in a conversation about race? Um, okay, so I, I, I yeah, so not centering, not okay. centering a white audience. I think inviting a white audience to a side conversation and holding space for a white audience. Okay, right. Yes, that's. A, that's I think it really matters that we that we name that right, and and I can that. But our language matters, right? And and also just even to think about how this is how I conceptualize it, right? Literally. So, and this count this this was so helpful, and this was part of I think the, you know, Lisa Sharon Harper wrote about that, right? We were on Robin Island together, and it was such an honor to even be there uh, with other global faith leaders, and we were talking about does Jesus have to do with justice at the time, and um, we were in this context. Here we are in Robben Island. Nelson Mandela was kept in prison here. Robert Sabukwe was kept in silence for six years on this island, literally not allowed to speak. And so the land kind of speaks to you when you're there and you're like, ah, uh, there's work here, right? And we, in this context, we can, we can talk about it and we can, we can, um, there's an invitation again, right? Yeah. And here we were sitting and, um, in this, in this kind of, in a larger room doing some work. And I remember we were asked, it's a kind of world cafe style. We were asked over the tea break, just to kind of arrange the posters on the, on the wall, just kind of in like create some organization. And I remember walking up to the wall and all of a sudden I look around me and I'm like, only the white people walked up to the board and started arranging the posters. And I'm like, Ooh, what's wrong here? Something's happening here, right here, right? I didn't have the language for this, but Lisa saw it. And I just knew it was wrong, but Lisa saw it and she named it and she said, this is what's happening right now. This is because this is part of what wiseness had created, right? Um, and so there was this big conversation and it cracked open the room. It was amazing, right? They were like, uh, we just named what's actually happening in the room right now. And, and I, I remember sitting and we, um, and here I was in my white Afrikaner woman body 
and I was sitting next to a pastor, a black pastor, um, older, older gentleman. And I remember how he was like, like, oh, he was, he was honoring me so beautifully. But I remember I knew he wasn't going to speak up in that moment, what he needed to say. I just knew. I was like, there are power dynamics in this room. Mm -hmm. And they said, can the white people, the white people need to leave the room. And you're like, okay, that's what we need to do. But it's just, it's just sort of like, okay, okay, sure. And we're kind of like bedraggled out of there and sat in the, in the cafeteria area or whatever, um, or the lunch area. And, and I feel like the book is that. We've been asked to leave the room because there, there's in the large conversation around race, we kind of have to leave the room to have some conversations that can't be, having, can't be had in that big room. And we got to figure some things out and we got to name power. We got to name privilege. We have to name the discomfort too, maybe. Um, it's okay to acknowledge that with your recovering racist friend. And just like, this feels kind of, interesting right and i remember people were having conversations about that right but it was the best thing that could have happened for the room because we walked back in and that room had shifted that room was different and the people in the room black indigenous persons of color they all knew that power is acknowledged and each one of them each person in that room had the power to speak and was invited to speak and needed to speak and and something shifted right it was like this chiropractor move right um and so and then the other piece if we are in the large conversation on race i'm noticing over and over again we're making we're creating harm like we're speaking up we're like uh excuse me what did you just say why did you say that i want to i want to know and why like and then it's like uh hold on right now this is not the time for you to speak. This is the time for you to listen. And let's go to the side. Let's have that conversation. Or you're feeling uncomfortable. You're feeling just like something, like some, I remember when people were starting to talk about restitution. I was like, my, my body goes like, oh, we have to talk about money. And I remember feeling that in my body, right? And it's like, I remember, no, just the first time. And then you hear, and you start hearing the conversation, right? And you're like, Oh, and then you start leaning in and then you're like, oh, this is, we have to have this conversation, right? But the first time I was going to like, you know, you're doing that. But if you're having it in a side conversation, you're like, you can be honest about that, but you're not creating harm. You're not harming somebody in the process. And then as you learn and unlearn, you go back into the big conversation. You learn how to hold the space with others to listen more than you speak, Right. And when it's time to speak, to speak, right? Um, but to learn, to learn about the power that we do hold, the place that we do hold in the story, right? And that the, that the space between us isn't benign, mm -hmm. that it's loaded with history and pain and things that have been messed up and like oppressed, not just messed up, oppressed, hurt um so you know yeah i think it's that <laughs> yeah it, because i and, and you you said it and really the same thing that i have tried to work through myself in being a white person and talking about racial issues is trying to be very careful to use the privilege of my voice yeah in a way that upholds and uplifts the people who have been doing this work for generations and not just immediately step in and be like uh i know what i'm doing he, you know i i'm here to help it, there's so many i've seen a lot of really well-intentioned people yeah uh completely swing and miss on trying to advocate for racial conciliation right i've done that i've done that i've, I've really missed the mark right and i've hurt people I've, I've hurt people and i've had to go back and 
And, um, you know, kind of really wrestle with that, say sorry when I've needed to say sorry or when I could say sorry, right? Yeah. And it's so, like, it's a hard thing to get right in the sense that, especially as as white people who are, we're used to having our voices matter. uh, We're not used to having to think about how will other people take this opinion if I say, especially me as a white male. Uh, you know, I, I was a pastor at a primarily Asian church and I'm this white male authority figure. Uh, it, it definitely took time for me to understand how my voice was perceived uh, and used and, and to be able to find a way in which, um, you know, I had the authority of being a pastor but I didn't want that authority to stem from my gender or my skin color. Uh, And that was a journey for me to like, to, to find how, you know, where did I, where did I base my authority from? What made me confident to speak on certain issues? Uh, And that obviously ties in with uh, speaking and racial conciliation on a number of ways. Um, Listening to people of color is so important. I really understand where they're coming from, uh, to understand the way they are defining terms, and to sit back and and let them them talk. Uh, You did a great job in you being a white voice, but um using your platform to allow the voices of others speak uh especially in the preface of the book and how you define terms and the in the the scholars that you used uh Willie Jennings uh for example um in defining whiteness how did you find that balance and saying like okay i have this platform i have this privilege so now this is the proper way uh, to there. This is the way in which I want to give that power and privilege to a different voice. And how did you find that balance in, in understanding that, you know, you're the one saying these words, but you're trying not to make it your white voice, I guess, is the, the question I'm trying to ask. Yes. Again, uh, another easy question, right? I think it was it was it was clear in that I am not here to define terms. I can't I can't tell you what racism is. Um, people who have lived it need to tell us what racism is and and define what that means and how it impacts people. And you know, I I, I can't be the one to define. I'm not the one to define that. I'm not I'm not the expert. Um, uh, people who have been doing the work who've been living in a black body or in a body of color or an indigenous body have been doing the work. And so, and I've created language. I am so grateful for the language that's come out of the US. I think out of the UK, Canada as well, but particularly the US. I mean, South Africa was my only source for, for language as I was kind of starting this recovering journey, right? Um, the words of, of, of Robert Sabukwe and of um, 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 the Archbishop Emeritus Tutu, right? Like uh, Desmond Tutu was, oh, was a gift to me. The work of Desmond Tutu was a gift. I was like, am I literally holding on to this book, No Freedom Without Forgiveness? Because it's like, and I could read it like almost sometimes I had to read it like line by line and I had to let the lines do the work in me because I was emaciated in my consciousness. I was so white in my consciousness that I had to read his words and I be in the proximity of his words and sit with his words. And it was like, do the work, do the work in me. And, and, and so, you know, from there on go, and then all this incredible work coming out of the U S like, and it, and it's been there. I mean, it's not like it hasn't been there, but, but it's like, there was this like Ta-Nehisi Coates and then like, um, Reverend Kelly Brown Douglas, stand your ground. There's like, I mean, there's just um, Resma Menicum, uh, Ibram X. Kendi, like all of this work. Um, and then cast, like every time I was like, 
this is such a gift in the language. Austin Channing Brown, the language. And then Oshida Moore, again, the language out of Dear White Peacemaker. I'm like, this is such a gift. It's such a gift, right? And, um, I, you know, um, just we are creating lang languaging. Like there's, there is this, we, we are, I'm learning language for how to speak about the things that before I'd only intuited. I'd only sense. It was like, I feel this thing. I can't name it. I don't know. I don't have the language for it, right? And then people, then I have to look to the people who know, right? And so then I'm like, so my work then for is to say, okay, well, I've done this work about what does it mean for me as a white woman then, right? Because, I mean, I, I really had to wrestle with, do I write this book or not? And I have been writing at it for a very, probably 20 years, okay? I've been writing the story and, um, and the different stories around that and just, and just, and, and there's like, do I need to do this? And I think I came to the place where I realized, um, you know, things like there are particular questions that I was having that I didn't find a white model for. Daniel Hill was doing beautiful work too, right? Like, um, but, but I was needing, a, I was kind of finding, wanting a, a white woman of faith who was doing this deep wrestling um, and this work of transfer, wanting to be transformed. Like that's what we're talking about, right? It's about becoming transformed and becoming human. Like that's why it's like, it's a <laughs> reclaiming our humanity. And so like, there was a question, for example, that I was wrestling with and I write about that, but the question of what do I do with my ancestors? I can hear black people, indigenous people, people of color talk about ancestors. And there's always a celebration of ancestors, the ones who have gone before. Um, in South Africa, freedom fighters, right? Like, and, and I want to be careful about that language right now too, because it's now it's loaded, right? It's been co-opted. And, um, but uh, these voices of liberation, right? I'm like, I don't come from a long line where people have been speaking liberation, right? In fact, the opposite. I can honor the humanity and the, and the gift and the love of my ancestors and the work, uh, like just of who they are as their humanity, right? But I don't want to stand on their shoulders in many ways, right? So what do I do with that? How do I wrestle with that? And I wasn't hearing any white people wrestling with that. So I had to do it, right? And so I kind of share about that in, you know, what was the place I came to, right? So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Those are the side conversations, right? What do I do with my power, yeah. right? those things so in the book continues and you you talk about you know you wake up to the realities of racism that's the question of like, what do you do uh and it's you know well you have to leave that system uh and we can there are ways in which we can do that um personally but it's much harder systemically if we live in a society that is systemically racist and and we do um, we still have to participate in that society to some extent. So like I'm thinking about, you know, how do we extricate ourselves from those systems? And, uh, so like some examples, this is a question that I've been mulling over, you know, myself, even before this book, um, you know, like even, even things like as I, as I think of like the money that I put into retirement accounts, okay. you know, what, what stocks or what mutual funds, uh, what is that money, you know, and I, you know, and we're talking about, I'm not rich, uh, this very small amount of money that I'm putting in, what yeah. is that being used to yeah. do? Uh, right. What's that going, you know, what is that going toward? Right. Um we we have an understanding, I think, that large parts of our democracy in the states uh, are pretty pretty flawed right now, uh, and that's something that we're working on. We can even say that, that that system is systemically racist, but we still participate in it uh, because to to step fully out of it yeah. would be to make it worse. Mm -hmm. So there, it's like this: you're holding in this. Do we? Do we redeem from within 
or do we um, separ we separate and have a revolution from without? That's a, that's very difficult. So what what steps have you taken? I'll ask the question this way: What steps have you taken to try to extricate yourself from that, you know, racist, colonized systems that are within our society? I think maybe can you say which? Okay. Hmm. I. Th hmm. I think I ask myself, where does my story intersect with the story of race? Mm -hmm. I don't know if this specifically answers your question, but I think, um, you know, what's, what, what's the, um, uh, I, I think it to be, it's easy to be like to say, oh, I'm overwhelmed by all the, all the things that, oh, I can't do all the things or this is, this is like, wow, the systemic is, is so big. And it's like, just do your part. Mm -hmm. Right. Remember, actually, part of that is and Desiree Attaway was a um, she she's is an activist and she talks about whiteness at work and just it's just she reminds us this is also like Nelson Mandela. This is a long journey, right? Like you and I are gonna be a blimp in the story of race or the conversation of our race, like right? But we have to do our part, mm -hmm. right? We, I am a small potato in the large story of race. And yet I cannot renege on my responsibility. I have a responsibility. And so it means when I'm in a room, I watch who's in the room and I watch who is not in the room. When I sit around the table, I am aware of who's around the table and who is not. And I, I will ask questions about why is the room set up like this? Mm -hmm. I am very happy to ask the uncomfortable questions. <laughs> Some people will attest to that. Um, and, you know, my heart's beating wildly, but I was like, you know what? I grew up in an all white school for 12 years of my life. And I sat with all white kids in a classroom. I sat in an all white church. I am tired. I will not have this anymore. If there's only white kids in that photograph or in that conversation, I will name it, right? And we're like, uh, actually, or if the power dynamics on a stage is like, uh, the white people get to talk and the person of color is the host. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I literally put up my hand and said, the dynamics right there on that stage is not okay, right? So, I think that's part of being naming what we see. I think that was a moment of my privilege used. So a person of color didn't have to put up her hand and say, um, why are the white people talking? And the person of color is asking them questions. Like, that's not okay, right? And people are like, oh, you're right. That's, oh crap, <laughs> we've messed that up, right? Um, and so, Things like that. I think it, it where we put our bodies matters, right? So I I do my best to um, to go to the places of pain, right? To um, to uh, so I can understand the story better, right? Um, do I participate in voting? Absolutely, because I know what a privilege it is to vote because people couldn't vote in South Africa for the longest time. Only white people could vote, right? So absolutely, what a privilege. I will use that and I do not take that for granted, right? Citizenship, as an immigrant, as an immigrant, I do not take that for granted, right? And I watch where that is, where other people don't have that same privilege or where it's denied based for whatever reason, right? Who is welcome at the border? Who is not? Um, who, like, those are the questions, right? And so in my personal life, asking those questions, and then I guess now, like with the book, asking that on a bigger scale, right? Just um, pay attention, personal, communal, right? We do our personal things, but we also participate in the communal 
or the collective, right? Um, and we'll just have to keep having this conversation too, right? But until you kind of be like, oh, this is actually the question I was asking. This is actually the answer I was looking for. Sometimes we don't have the right language for even the question, mm -hmm. right? Like, I didn't know that question about the ancestors. Like, ah, uh, I know there's something here that I need to figure out. I didn't know what I was even asking, right? Yeah. But to wrestle, to wrestle for that. In the last section of the book, uh, your focus is on repair, on the steps that we can take as white people to repair this rift. Um, and you, you offer a lot of you know, personal and societal suggestions. And I'm, I'm going to name three of them. And I'm just going to let you talk about it. I had written those three questions. So you have the questions in front of you. Uh, but just, just for time, uh, you, talk, you have a chapter on decolonizing. You have a, a chapter on remembering, and there's a hyphen between remembering and the concept of restitution. And uh, again, three very big topics. Could you briefly go through those and what, what they mean to you? Okay, sorry. Can I briefly what? Sorry, I didn't. I missed so we'll, go, we'll go first. First is de decolonizing, remembering, and, and uh, restitution. But what about that? You want me to do what? I uh, just because. Well, let's start with explain what when we say decolonizing. What does that mean? Because I, I think I just, I want to get our definitions right. I think there are people that might be listening to this that they're they're with you. They're on board so far, but there might not be an understanding of how white culture has sort of pervaded everything. Because when your culture is the norm, I think a lot of white people, I, I, I'll speak for myself, you know, growing up, I didn't, I just was like, oh, white people don't have a culture, really was where I was kind of at. Because my culture was everywhere. I didn't have to think of it as being a subset of what was happening. You uh, would think about white people in the US not having a culture, right? That is correct. Yes. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, it's just, it's it's assumed that this is this is what people do. This is you know, um, so part of the work of repair is is sort of decolonizing ourselves and our structures. Uh, what does it mean to decolonize? Okay, so I'm gonna again like. But point to 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 the voices who are the experts on this, right? Like, I it's not my place to define that. I can say how I'm entering the conversation, or or um, how I'm experiencing this, or I'm doing this for myself, right? I think something that really clicked for me it was like Cheryl Bear. Um, she's uh, of the um, not the wooden First Nation. And she said, and she was speaking at our She Loves Church one time. And she says, what is decolonizing? It's hearing a different story and changing your mind. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was so, right. it was just like, oh, okay. What different stories do I need to hear? Right. And what, where do I need to change my mind? Right? Yeah. I, I think sometimes we think it's like big concept. And it's like, oh, and I'm like, oh, yes. That was very helpful for me too, like just to kind of pierce this whole, pierce that, right? Um, I think just to be mindful of where you are in the story, right? Okay, I am a white woman who grew up in a white, in a, like this context, I am now in this context. I, I speak from these different places, from my immigrant identity. I speak from um, an Afrikaner identity. I speak from an Afrikaans identity. I speak from a, a like a white, a cisgendered heteros yeah, heterosexual woman. Like, so I speak from that identity, right? So I'm like, um, there's, a, there's, so there's a lot going on. So just figuring out where are you in the story and what, what identity are you also speaking from, right? And so, and then I think there's this idea of um, sometimes, I know for me this has happened, where I've heard a story and I lived in a story where this is the way the story was told. And when I realized, and I moved away from it, I kind of just moved away from it and I realized, oh, this is just a particular story. And this is the way Afrikaner people told the story. Um, I talk about um, uh, the, the, the Battle of Blood River in South Africa with the Zulu nation and um, people can read about that. But um, 
And I was like, oh, I had to do that. I mean, that took years for me to decolonize that story, right? Did I name it decolonization at the time? No, but I had to hear a different story from a different perspective. What would a Zulu mom tell her kids about that day? Um, what does my friend Musu tell her friend about that day, right? Um, how do we stand together now, right? Um, okay. And so that's kind of the decolonizing piece. I think, so you were asking me, why do people have to, why do white people have to um, kind of work on repair, right? Why not just apologize? And, um, and, I, and there's like these, Charlene Swartz uh, has done, has done a, wrote a real, uh, like a book um, all about restitution and uh, done a lot of research on that. And um, also, a father, Michael Lapsley, and they tell the story of these two kids who um, are friends and they play. And um, then let's say the white kid steals a black kid's bicycle. He's like, oh, I like this bicycle you have. I'm going to take it for myself. And the black kid goes like, uh, excuse me, that's my bicycle. Why did you take that? And the white kid, well, I wanted it. And he just goes off and, and uh, no, kind of nobody kind of pays attention to that. And he keeps the bicycle and they're no longer, no longer friends, right? But then after a while, the white kid goes like, oh, I'm, I miss my friend. I want to be friends again. And he goes to his friend and he says, I'm so sorry I took your bicycle. And the black kid said, oh, thank you. I, I appreciate your apology. And then the white kid goes off and like, oh, we're going to just be friends again. And the black kid goes, uh, hold on you still have my bicycle what about the bicycle right and i think sometimes we want to go yeah we want to apologize but we forget that there are major bicycles that have been taken from people and that is what we're talking about when we're talking about repair it's a very simple example but it it's meant to tell a very big story of what is missing of the things that have been taken have been robbed from others right um, you know, how much money I got towards my education, literally from the government versus a black student or a student of color, right? And so that gap, that thing, that, that is what we're talking about. And that's only the money for education. That's not talking about all of the structural stuff, right? Um, where people are living, um, what people can, like in South Africa, there was literally barriers to what people could become in the country, like professionally, right? Um, you know, that that's not even talking about that. Yeah. So yes, we absolutely have to talk about repair and we have to talk about money. Yes. So um, just to sort of wrap things up, we've talked about so many so many difficult issues like literally each chapter of your book could be a book in and of itself and and, and is and it is. is you can look to, to so many different resources for that yeah. and, and we're just giving you you know really truncated examples as we as we work through all of these things um there's so many like every single page that you go to you could find a concept that's going to challenge you or some way that you need to change and I really appreciate the way that you have outlined the book because it doesn't, uh, the way that each book ends uh, with clearly defined questions and, and here's things you can do. So you don't just feel, you know, you don't just go away feeling sad. Uh, you, you go away and you're like, okay, here's some practical ways to, to implement that. So it's not just about, we want you're white and we want you to feel guilty. Uh, but it's, you know, this is what you can do differently. If, if your readers could just take away, if you had to pick in the, one concept, just like one thing, like where, what would you want that one thing to be? I think it's the idea that we belong to each other. I think underneath all of this is understanding is that very deep connectedness to the humanity of each other. And um, 
you know, I don't say that lightly. Like, I know it's become a bit of a catchphrase and it's kind of like we can say we belong to each other, but I mean it in a very deep way that when you're flourishing, I can flourish. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when the different, um, like, so when a black student in South Africa is flourishing and she feels like she is supported and she can walk safely um, where she needs to be, or she can grab a taxi, or she can be with her friends and sense like that empowerment. There is an empowerment for me. There is a safety and there is a freedom for me. There's something in our connectedness to each other that I don't take for granted because I've, my soul is a witness to that, that we belong to each other. um, But when, We belong to, to George Floyd dying on the street, right? We belong to an Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor. I belong to her, right? And her death needs to mean something. Um, you know, I belong to a Hector Peterson in South Africa who uh, was kind of like the Emmett Till of South Africa, right? I belong, and I belong to his sister, right? Who had to watch her little brother die. Like there's just, we belong to each other. We're in this beautiful network of mutuality. And I think if we can get that, that doing this work is because we belong to each other and our liberation, our flourishing, our, our transformation is connected to this, right? Um, this is an invitation to liberation. This is an invitation to transformation, right? It's hard and good and important. And and if we don't do this, I mean, we can slip back into like, you know, I don't know, emaciated whiteness. I don't know. Well, Idola, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the program. Uh, again, for like, there was not a, I, there was not an easy question that I that I handed you there, and uh, I think if you're listening to this and you've listened to all this in one sitting, uh, congratulations! <laughs> uh, choo choo choo. That's it. Yes, it is, yes. We got to build capacity. I would love to say one thing, if that's okay. Yes, yes. Go ahead. You know, the fact I acknowledge that we are two white people having this conversation. And I'm very aware of that, right? But I'm also, it's kind of exciting that two white people are having this conversation because 20 years ago, I wasn't finding white people wanting to have a conversation about this, right? And so acknowledging that and it's, we're going to mess up and yes, we have to have these conversations too. So thank you. Thank you for having me. The book is Recovering Racists, Dismantling White Supremacy and Reclaiming Our Humanity. It it comes out from Brazos Press uh, in in April, correct? April 12th, yes. April 12th, okay. Uh, So so right around the time that this interview will go live, uh, you can go out and pick up the book. It is, I think, especially if you're in in an American context, seeing global racism, seeing it from the perspective of South Africa, um, might help you place some concepts in a different um, mental space because it's, because it's different stories than the ones that you hear over and over again uh, in the States. And it might help you learn to, to process those things differently. Uh, it's a very challenging book. It's a very heartfelt uh, and, and also like you have throughout this whole interview, very aware of, of what it is and, uh, what it's building on and, um, that it's very much a sidebar in the conversation of race. So, uh, Idolet, thank you for your book. Thank you for your work. Um, and as you continue to recover from racism, that we're all on this journey, that we're on this journey together. And I think helping people giving giving them a pathway in which to start um will hopefully 
help set people on that journey. I hope so. Thank you.